Welcome to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast, hosted by myself, Sebastian Bates, and Timothy Fair-Matthews. A podcast made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We're launching our podcast with a series of raw but real interviews with some of the world's leading business mentors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with incredible stories. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain. So if it's your first time joining us, make sure you go back to episode one and don't miss a thing as you listen to incredible insights from our speakers. This is the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the F10X Round Pegs Square Holes live interview. My name is Timothy Fair Matthews, and I'm here today with Scott Mansell. So Scott is the founder of Driver61. He spent the last 25 years in motorsport, and he's driven everything from little small race cars right the way through to F1, which is pretty cool. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, he's driven circuits all around the world, uh, mainly in Europe, and uh, he's had thousands of hours behind a race car. And now, obviously, because we're talking about the inspiring to pivot online, um, we are going to be talking a bit about what he's done to pivot online, because I imagine the motorsport industry has been immensely affected. So first of all, uh, welcome to the show, Scott. Really, really good to have you on board, mate. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you, Tim. Uh, thank you very much for having me today. Really appreciate uh, being here with you. No worries. Awesome. So tell us a bit about yourself. I mean, I obviously gave you a little quick intro there, but I mean, would love to know, love to know a bit about your history. I know there's a lot of information on the internet about you, but I'd really love to know what, what's been your highlights over your career so far. Yeah, so I was in the fortunate position to start karting when I was four years old. Uh, my, my father bought me a little go-kart and uh, since then I've been in love with, with racing. Obviously, you give a little go-kart to a, to a little boy and he's, he's going to fall in love. Um, I've been racing professionally ever since um, and have competed in single-seaters, um, sports cars, GT cars, whatever. And um, I've actually won a couple of European championships along the way. Um, since then, I've also moved into coaching. So for the last 15 years, I've been coaching. And over the last three years, I've developed a training program for amateur and professional racing drivers that's pretty unique in, in our industry. Uh, alongside that, um, I started a website and Driver61 uh, three and a half years ago now. Um, and since then, um, through our YouTube channel, we've had tens of millions of views over that time. We've got 160,000 subscribers, which is pretty good i think in my opinion for such yes, a niche high. <laughs> such, a, such a niche uh, market um so yeah that's uh, that's that's about where we are in um, in the last few months since the the pandemic and and uh, the coronavirus we've pivoted um into sim racing so we've taken what we understand from real world race coaching and how to develop drivers and we're developing um and have developed numerous courses for sim races which is um you know we, we're not targeting drivers um or or sim users that have the the, the pads you know they've got a a good setup um a good a, you know a proper steering wheel and pedals like that but yeah. a lot of the skills are transferable across and so we've pivoted into that area amazing wow that's a, I don't know where to begin. I mean, that's a, that's quite a that's quite a background. I mean, first of all, one of the things I want to first of all is for my own curiosity because I'm a big petrol head. I love my cars. 
I really want to know what an F1 car is like to drive. What's that like? Well, I mean, they vary so much over the years. I've driven from sure, yeah. uh, 82, 1982 um, is the earliest car that I've driven, all the way up to 2013. So okay. across those decades and the different eras and, and, and regulations, they change. Um, they actually do get a little bit less raw as you get to the more modern cars so for me the the, the early to mid 90s cars are the, the the most raw the kind of most difficult to drive and the quickest yeah, imagine those cars were super fast but very very difficult to drive so kind of that center era yeah. was where the where the magic is they don't really make them like they used to do they no i mean the, the current generation are pretty fast but they're just not, they don't look as on edge as those old cars. Yeah. So when you do watch the, the, the older footage, you really um, think, wow, those guys were, were something special to be able to keep those things on the track. And, and it's the same thing when you're driving them. You know, um, I drove a 1992 Schumacher car, the camel one, you know, the yellow camel one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and that, I mean, it's H pattern. So you've got to change gear, you know, like old style, oh, 700 God. brake horsepower really difficult challenging car to drive and probably probably uh, no power steering as well either right zero power steering no <laughs> and you know you just have to be in awe of how those drivers drove those cars and it's you know, know when yeah. you're driving them it's it's coming at you thick and fast you feel everything the adrenaline's incredible so uh it's very it's, you know i'm in a privileged position to have driven all of those cars i know it's a it's a i think a lot of a lot of people who are perpetual head fans watching this um it's going to be one of those things very few people get to experience. So yes, no, it's good that you uh, appreciate it because I mean, I, I just I wouldn't, I'd be terrified to be honest. I mean, I've I've done a bit of bit of race driving, a bit of track diet, track day stuff, not a lot obviously, but it is amazing when you're on the track how different and that how aware of everything you are and just it must be absolutely crazy and something like that. Amazing machine. Yeah, it's crazy. The um, I actually do some work with the Renault F1 team and they they run a program with some of their sponsors and for some prize winners where they'll put a normal person in a Formula right. One car for, oh, wow. for a few laps in the circuit, Paul Ricard in France. And, uh, you know, I, I brief them and coach them, get them prepared. But when they jump in the car and the mechanics start the engine, it's an old V8 engine, wow, you know, super yeah. loud. And wow. you just see their eyes go like this and everything that you've told them pretty much falls away yeah, <laughs> because there's so much going on. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's a really good thing to kind of fall into next. I mean, Driving is not as, I mean, depending on if there's many people here that are not really into cars or race, race car driving, I mean, one of the things that is incredibly complex is how much goes into putting down a fast lap time, isn't it? I mean, that's one of the things that you've obviously developed over the years, thousands of hours behind, a, behind the, the wheel of a race car. What, what, what made you get into coaching? Like, why, do you, why did you feel that this is something you wanted to focus into, first of all? And tell us a bit about how complex this can be, because I mean, I, I know firsthand working on a race circuit how complex it is. But just give the audience a little background on that as well. Well, I think I I first understood that being coached works when I was when I was a kid. My my dad owns a race team, so I was lucky from from that perspective. He's a race engineer, and so he right. would coach me as as a kid. And so I, I very early on I made that connection that if you've got a good person there telling you what to do and you do it then it makes you it makes you better so i've always had that in me um I, I mean and from there it's i just love i just love coaching that moment that i have uh, when myself or one of my coaches is sat next to a driver and we get some feedback from them and the thing just clicks and 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 racing a car is is a complex 
thing. There's there's so many things going on. And to be fast, which I think a lot of people might not realize, even if they've got a Porsche or Ferrari on the road, they may not realize that the, the level that you have to be at to, to, to be quick. You've got to be driving the car on the limit of grip all the time. And if you leave an ounce of grip on the table, then, then you're not going to be fast. So actually in our communication uh, from the beginning, the typical journey for an amateur driver, a gentleman driver, as we call them, um, is that they'll have a Porsche or a performance car on the road. And they'll think, well, I can drive this pretty well on the road. And then they go and do a a track day or even a test day in a race car. And they then understand how, how challenging it is. And so once we, once they understand that they do need a bit of coaching, the joy then comes from them having the car on the limit, sliding around, balanced, um, yeah. and feeling in control of it. Our biggest problem with with our clients is that they they can get the car somewhere close to this limit and have it, you know, moving moving around, sliding across the tarmac, um, but it's happening to them rather than them being in control of it. And that's that's where yeah. we spend most of our training time. Of course, no. So, I mean, I think one of the things I've noticed, certainly about the motorsport industry, and I guess this can be translated to any industry, is that in this particular one, there's not actually not many people doing the coaching to the level that you're probably doing it, um, especially now that you've moved into the sim racing. But before, let's let's talk before coronavirus first. I mean, how how much uh, how much competition do you actually have with regards to this? Well, the, there are thousands of coaches around the world, um, but they're all pretty much doing the same thing to be honest with mm. you. Um, mm. They'll typically have a stable of five or six drivers that they look after each year, and they'll follow them around the world going to testing, practice, or race weekends. Mm. And the, the problem is there's limited time on the track because it's so expensive to run your Ferrari GT3 car and you've got to share the circuit with other people. You don't get that much track time. And when you do, there's many other distractions on the circuit. You'll be sharing the circuit with 30 or 40 other cars. And yeah. so as soon as you're distracted, you're not learning as quickly as you could. So right. three years ago, I took a step back and thought, is there a better way that we that we can do this? A better way that we can train racing drivers? So our concept is to open up as much mental bandwidth as we can for the driver. So that means we actually put them in quite a slow car. Um, so that they're not just so the corners aren't just coming at them fast and faster and faster. So it, they've got time to think about the car while it's sliding on the limit. We hire a circuit exclusively, so there's no other distractions on the track, and it's a it's quite a short track, so they get massive repetition. And beyond that, we then break down our techniques into very small bite-sized pieces, like you might do if you were learning karate. You know, you just start with one punch and repeat it and repeat it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. If you compare that to normal coaching, the drivers will go out with another 30 cars on the circuit and they'll try to think about all their different techniques all at once. And none of it really sticks. And so we break it down, build it up in layers, make sure we get the, the first bit, the fundamentals checked off, perfected in isolation and then we move up to the next section and we we layer up the skills brilliant i mean i've i've got a i've got a business coach here in dubai and um he said something that's uh, his name's phil bedford he he links about if you throw a load of balls at people they usually drop every single ball but if you give them one or two balls they can catch it and i guess it's the same sort of thing you're doing with this you're breaking it down and and systemizing it in a way where people can digest it 
And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems I think any form of education comes from, whether it be motorsport or any industry. It's, it's just trying to retain all what you're being told, um, you know, especially. So, I mean, I mean, that's awesome. So that must have really helped them, you, with you guys, when you pivoted online, because you have such a structured system anyway. How, how have you managed to do that with now some of this sim racing platform you've now developed, which I'm assuming is through uh, Driver 61. Is that right? It's all in the pla- all on the website, is it? That's correct, yeah. Um, so how have, you, how have you managed to pivot yourself with regards to going from an actual physical venue to then online? Yeah, so the, all the circuits got closed um, in March, and so racing stopped. We didn't have any way to train, and so we, you know, we had to, we had to pivot. I'd already done some research into the the sim the sim world, um, but if you think about sim racing um, compared to other computer games, if you go for kind of a, a mid to high level sim racer, the equipment that they have, the quality of the equipment that I have, and you can't quite see it here. I've got a it's just behind me so you can't see it but i've got a, a, a good quality simulator here yeah. it's actually very similar in terms of the hardware the steering wheel the pedals and so on very similar to what we have in the real world compared mm. to other esports and so there's i think sim racing and real world racing the blend across the two is going to be a lot earlier than you would have in in other esports if you sit in the simulator and you wear your vr headset and you've got a really high quality steering wheel it's it's 90 percent of the way there obviously you're not feeling the g-force in the yeah, car the but you you begin to use different senses so you use your your hearing a lot more you use the feel the steering wheel feels exactly the same like the quality of the wheels when you turn it into the corner the feedback that it gives you there is oh, exactly really? the same. the same so this blend um across the two is 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 pretty close and i have clients of mine who are using simulators to train for the real world um so actually the the fundamental technique through real world racing to sim racing is very similar and so the transition across in in the content only needed a little bit of tweaking do you know what's jumped out at me is forget the coronavirus of the minute and the pandemic and the crisis and the fact you had to pivot is now you've actually got a business which is more efficient it can help more people and ironically might make them better drivers doing their coaching with you through this i mean obviously still doing the actual racing as well but you i'm assuming you can do this instead of one-to-one you could do one-to-many i'm assuming yeah to to and you can yeah yes and obviously people then don't need to worry about traveling and lots of stuff you've actually gained you've saved circuit higher i mean i imagine there's a load of software development and and behind the door like you know lots of costs behind closed doors but i mean in a way this has almost you know evolved your business and it's not made it it's not like it's had to change if anything it's just added like a whole new ecosystem hasn't it of assets that's that's exactly right it's actually opened us up to um you know our, our customer base on on the sim side is on one side we've got the real world racers who want to use the simulator to um improve their real world racing and then on the other yeah. side of things we've got pure sim racers who aren't actually particularly interested in real world racing and they just want to get better uh, on the sim the beauty is is that the the techniques that you need to have it's pretty much the same across both of these these customer bases that's amazing it's really really cool so i mean we've established then obviously the seat time is a big problem and i think that's you know the majority that most drivers i think have as an issue i mean how do you see this obviously sticking around regardless of whether the the virus comes and goes i mean 
do you see many other coaches doing this? Do you think this is a new a new era, so to speak, in terms of motorsport coaching? Yeah, I mean, sim racing's seen a lot of real world attention um, from from real world drivers because a lot of the um, you know Formula One are doing a championship, IndyCar are doing a championship, um, because they they kind of they scrambled to get some E series together, uh, but it was already a big, it was already a massive thing. It was just you know with what the pandemics allowed us to do is to have a little bit of space and to look at where we can develop the business in a different area, as I suppose it has with, with many people. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's been, it's been really interesting from that perspective. How's, how's it, how's it been well with like, how's it been received? I mean, have, has it been quite popular? I mean, you've been live with this a month now, is that right? Yeah, just about a month at the moment. Yeah. I mean, we, um, so we did a, t a test product. Um, well, we did lots of surveying, got lots of research to see what the customers actually wanted. Then we had an early access group. But beyond that, the first time that we sold, um, you know, a product, as it were, we we sold out within 24 hours, um, 75, no, sorry, 50, 50 places, which was just incredible. Wow. You mentioned there you surveyed. I mean, what I would like to do is I'd like to touch a little bit about and go a bit I go a bit micro here on what you did, because I think a lot of people, you know, probably not in motorsport, but are in industries that are probably very affected right now with regards to what's going on. And obviously, because it's about pivoting online, I'd love to know and go a little bit more detail about what you did in terms of your steps. Now, the first thing you mentioned, you did surveys, which, you know, we're big fans of. I mean, data is key. Um, but tell us a bit about your process and, and why you did that. That would be really helpful for us just to understand. So you started, did you start off with that? Was that the first process for you or did you? Yeah. That, that, that was the first process. I mean, we, we're in a fortunate position that we've got a big email list, which has grown over the last three years uh, from okay. from YouTube and from the website. We've collected all all of people, you know, people's information. Um, but from there, yeah, we put together actually quite a big survey. And to be honest with you, I didn't think that many people were going to make their way through because it was a bit detailed, like it was 15, 20 minutes uh, of time. Um, but we had 300 responses. Wow. And from that, we then gathered so much information about what platform that we're using, um, how much money they were willing to spend, what equipment they had, uh, which cars they particularly wanted courses on. You know, we had we've got a bible now of information. So, so it was all you didn't even need to come up with the idea. You were pretty much told by a load of people wanting to spend money, make me this, and and that's what pretty much happened. Wow, that was, so, that I mean, was the first step. Yeah. A lot of people miss that step, though. I mean, I think a lot of people forget the power, the power of just picking up the phone and speaking to their current audience, especially in this time. So, I mean, one of the biggest, you know, takeaways I think people can get from this call straight away is to just pick up the phone, speak to your audience. Um, exactly. You'd be amazed right. how you can find. Sorry to cut in. That was that was my that was our second step. So, my my partner on this um, in Canada. Once we did, did the surveys, we asked them if they'd be interested in um, in doing some interviews, and he did. 30 interviews, 30, like 30 minute interviews every day, just, just sat there and got the information from, from, from our target audience. And, um, all that information means that then when we did try and sell something, that's why we, that's why we sold it. Amazing. So you've partnered with someone in Canada. That's cool. So again, just so go to show the, the use of remote working. What's the chap in Canada doing? Is he developing the platform or what's he, what's he doing there? Yeah. He's been involved in a few startups, um, before. Um, so he's really um, working behind the scenes. Uh, I'm 
creating content, building the audience and, and things like that, which I've been doing for years anyway. And he's organizing and developing some of the products as well. He's also putting together, you know, we've got, we've got five coaches who are fully trained now to work with us and we've got another five in the pipeline. So he's, he's building the, the staffing there. Wow. And are these coaches the same coaches you had when you were doing the physical actual one-to-one or are these different? No, it's, we, we've gone a bit more, um, bespoke, I suppose we've, we've selected experts in different platforms, different software. And, uh, and so we're working with them and the, the ultimate goal is so that they can then develop their own courses that are specific to, to a, a racing game. Awesome. Okay. So after the third, so what's the, what was the third step then you, you managed to oversubscribe this. That's pretty amazing. Um, so, I mean, obviously that, I mean, you're, you're obviously quite savvy with how business works, but is this something that you think's really accelerated your learning over the last couple of months or were you quite comfortable at marketing this idea? getting that out i'm, I'm sure um, your audience was integral here but it'd be nice to know what what the next step was for that yeah the the audience was there that that was that was a, a bit a bit a, made things a lot easier right because for us to just get 300 um surveys back was was mm -hmm. great and it really helped yeah. things mm -hmm. but I, I suppose you know you could advertise that or I, I i don't know you could get that to work some other way um so mm -hmm. then we interviewed um all of the potential customers we designed a program um, and rather than just go sh directly online in terms of creating videos and, and so on, we actually tested the market with a, a four hour uh, workshop with me live. And to be honest with you, it didn't require much work because it was within the framework that I'd already developed in the real world. And so we just did the, the minimum product that we could to make sure that it would sell. So I, I guess the third step is to make sure that you can sell what you think you can sell at the price that you think you can sell it at. We did. Yeah. We actually probably priced it a little bit too low. Um, and we, yeah, we sold out those 50 spaces uh, within 24 hours. Well, wow. I mean, uh, Sebastian, um, my fellow co-host and, and co-founder of FTNX Academy talks uh, a lot about how if you can get what your initial plan was, your mission and get the goal you actually find that a lot of people can pivot if they just change the delivery and how they do that. So really what you're doing is you're not effectively changing your business at all. It's just your method on how, of course, you get across that and that knowledge to people, um, you know, obviously with the confines of not being able to go on a track, but that's amazing. Um, awesome. So, I mean, in terms of your, your own support, I'd love to know kind of like what people have been quite influential for your success, do you think, and, and helping you in this situation? Have you got any particular mentors yourself? Do you, do you recommend it? What do you think there? Um, so when I when I first started Driver Sixty One, my, my my sole goal was to I'd been reading uh, books about you know giving away as much content as you could and giving away as much value as you could. Um, yeah. I listened to Pat Flynn quite a lot right at the beginning. Read the Four Hour Work Week and uh, those types yeah, of so, books. So pretty, so pretty, 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 pretty common, pretty common stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just put out a load of content and my idea wasn't exactly a plan <laughs> but i was trying to build an audience and then at some point i'd be able to monetize that audience um yeah. and that i mean it's been so powerful um understanding that we have kind of top of funnel content on youtube and then um coming down to to, to being familiar and, and building authority with them with my more technical videos i explain the, the details of, of racing um it means that in the real world we then were able to sell a 2000 pound product 
which is a, a day course with us uh, without really getting them on the phone. Like we, we do speak to the customers beforehand now because we've improved the sales process, but yeah. it just it just amazed me by how 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 trustworthy um well how much trust those videos would build because we survey the people now when they do our scorecard but they've watched you know almost 10 to 15 hours of of, of our content and that really helped things uh, but then going back to your um original question i did the uh, key person of influence program with dan, dan priestley yeah which really helped me to organize my ideas and get things uh, have a bit more strategy involved. I was just kind of throwing things at the wall before and, and seeing, you know, what was happening and didn't take that step back um, to see how organized things should be and, and, and what the processes look like. I've been a, you know, a self-employed coach uh, all my life, I run my own thing. I've never been inside what we would call a proper business. So the processes and yeah, and and how basically a, a, a proper business runs, I'd not seen before. Um, and so the KPI course really helped me to to understand that. How, how long ago did you do the KPI course? This time last year. Wow, in one year. It's, a, it's ironic, isn't it? And it's not a dig, mate. I know a lot of people that are in this similar situation, but coaches do need coaching, don't they? Even if it's not about the same thing. So Oh, no, no. I mean, I, I, I don't feel um, ashamed or embarrassed about talking about that because how was I? How, how am I supposed to know? I've never been in uh, a dynamic startup that might have these systems or an established business that has these set processes. I've, you know, I've just been at racetracks all my life. So, um, yeah. and and to be honest with you, just getting just I wasn't far off. You know, I I got most of the stuff in place, mm-hmm. but a few little tweaks here and there, and it just opened everything up. That's amazing. I think I think that's really powerful, guys. So I think any like Daniel Priestley, by the way, is going to be coming on the uh, group um, in a few days. Anyway, he's going to be um, sharing all his insights. So it's nice to know you've been mentored by him. Um, I know Seb has as well, and he's provided a lot of value to him over the years. And you know, it's it, it just shows. Uh, I mean, you're, it's 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 credit to you for doing nearly all of it, all way almost there. But it's amazing how that little bit more, like you said, just with racing, a little bit extra, using a little bit more, a little bit more grip, you know, makes you, you know from one second to two seconds faster on a lap or so, isn't it? Exactly. It is exactly the the same on track as well. You just tweak a few fundamental things and then it flows. You have flow fluidity with the car. And it's the same with the business. I tried a few things. We we actually had an online store before, again, trying to monetize the audience. Mm. And that required so much brute force to keep it working as so much effort to make it happen yeah. that in, in the end it, it only lasted 18 months because it was just it just it, it, it wasn't working well and since we just changed um our, our product into the into the training it's pulled itself along so now yeah. i feel like i know the difference when you've got a business that isn't working against one that is working because always in the back of your mind if it isn't quite working it's like do i just need to go a little bit further do i need to just crack on it's a very difficult decision to make to to stop something um yeah. and with that online store it was just it just felt like it had a lot of friction um so it was difficult to 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 maintain the momentum whereas now we're being pulled along which is yeah which is interesting. Well, the market doesn't lie. You sometimes just have to go with it. And, that, and that's why the survey process is incredibly important. So, I mean, well done. Um, one thing that I, I really would like to just 
kind of go back to is you you mentioned that you're a big fan of YouTube and you're putting out a lot of content on there. So just to clarify, that content you were putting online wasn't like a paid thing that people had to get to or it was hidden for certain people. It was completely free and open to the public. Is that right? Yes. And actually at the beginning, I, I tried to control it too much. I produced a 25-part series breaking down all different techniques of, of driving, like whiteboard tutorials. Um, really detailed, very, very niche uh but i mean they've i think they've had 1.2 1.3 million views now which is for such a niche wow. subject is it's quite quite good um yeah. and actually at the beginning i hosted them only on my website so i used uh, a software called wistia which is like youtube but you can protect it and just keep it on your website because i was of the opinion well if i put and this was four years ago if i put it on youtube then people can just stay on youtube and i won't get the traffic to my website and i'll lose control of it did that for six months and it was going it was going pretty well and then someone said to me come on scott just just put it on youtube just try it on youtube and yeah again we opened it up gave it away for free it was it was already free on the website before but put it on youtube as a platform and it just generates its own traffic which is just incredible what why would you say doing that is important like why 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 would you like if you had to give a if you were speaking to any business owner and they're, they're not currently doing online content but you feel they could add a lot of value to online why, why would you say that's so important well first of all um you build build yourself as an authority um now when mm -hmm. i go to the racetracks i'll have five to ten people come up to me and shake my hand and thank me for the content we get emails wow. every single day it's it's nice from from that side right but well, I, okay. I stand out there's the, there aren't any other coaches that have taken the time to put that effort in and so automatically yeah. i've gone from being on a kind of level playing field with them to being you know the, the the coach that people come and say hello to which is which is fantastic so as i mentioned before then that transition from actually online scalable content to them coming and spending some money with us is a much smoother and easier transition yeah, of course. Well, it's all about rapport, isn't it? I mean, it's it's like going into a shop, and and if someone's very much there trying to sell you something, you're a bit put off. But you know, if you if you if people take the step back approach and let you, them come to you, you actually find that sales are a much easier process. Like you said, trying to set, not even having to speak to someone on the phone, and yet they would spend a two thousand pound product with you. That's amazing. Exactly. Wow. At the beginning, I was a little bit worried about giving all of this information. I was worried about giving it away, and you know, kind of not having people then come to me because they've got the information i was worried about what my uh, peers would say because i was giving away lots of information um yeah. i got over the second one corrupting, aren't you almost yeah yeah in a way. i got over the second one very quickly um <laughs> and uh, i mean it it's had a massive massive effect on the business um giving away the information they still need to come to you to kind of put it in order and create a strategy specific for them we actually have drivers that come you know they watch all all of my tutorials on whiteboard they know it all the theory but then they come and do the actual practical stuff we embed the information into their you know into them so they know it off by heart and then they go back and watch the tutorials again and say ah now i i really know how that feels and so they've got all of this information out there i suppose it is reasonably noisy and then they come and do the training with us and they understand what the kind of step-by-step -step process should be it's in a way it's, it's kind of a no-brainer why anyone would be doing this because they're all you almost qualify the, the audience is self-qualifying 
because by the time they get to you, they know you don't need to build the rapport so much because they already know if like they've known you for years. It's yeah, a, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've it's had a, uh, <laughs> I've had fifty year old men tell me that I uh, I send them to sleep each night because I, we make some track guides. So we basically taught them around the circuit, and now the, yeah, the, so actually some of their wives have come up to me and said, "I know your voice." <laughs> oh God, my husband. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The what? The what? Yeah, the, yeah. The wives must be uh, must hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Brummy accent as well. Yeah, no. Well, that's awesome. I mean, it also it just goes to show that I mean you've got quite a niche target market. I mean, um, I mean, explain your target market actually. So the people that you normally tutor. Are they quite young? Are they old? Like, who who is the persona of the person that you normally sell to? Twenty percent of the of our customers are young racers who are, who are aiming to become professional or are professional. Um, mm. But the chunk of it are what we call gentleman drivers. So CEOs, business owners, they've been working away, they've made their money, and then they decide they want to go and race a Ferrari or a Porsche or whatever it may be. Uh, they typically be between. 40 and 55 years old um, mm. and they want to learn as efficiently as they can and that's why they wow. come to us amazing well it just goes to show doesn't it if you know your target market it doesn't matter how niche you are because there's always a, there's always enough people out on the planet you know that want exactly. your services yeah yeah um we've got a really interesting question here that um jamie baker has asked um are many other automotive companies as successful as you are in moving online? So is there anyone else that you know that's pivoting quite interestingly in your industry? Or would you say you guys are slightly ahead of, a cur ahead of the curve in this respect? Um, specifically into the sim racing side of things, um, there's been a couple of coaches I know move into online coaching, but they're just basically taking what they've done in the real world and doing that, well, as I have, but they're just doing like one-to-one coaching which doesn't have any structure which doesn't have the methodology there excuse mm. me and so that's actually quite a difficult thing to scale uh because it's just one-to-one -one. and they're kind of missing the opportunity that the the sim racing the online thing gives to you because we we can scale so going back to the stages that we spoke about before we sold this first product where it was four hours of, of me um working with um 15 to 20 drivers so we did that for three weeks once we understood um that that firstly worked and we got some feedback on how we could improve we've now started to develop that same course but over four or five weeks with 80 percent of it being online because i was doing it live and i was doing the briefings the demonstrations and stuff that we could easily just record and put online uh, yeah, and then at the end we were just doing one-to-one -one coaching with a, with a number of coaches. So what we've done now is we've moved the stuff that can go online, the briefing and the demonstrations. Um, they then get that at the beginning of the week. They 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 do the driving. They they do the exercises, and then at the end of the week, we, well, we have a Q and A session with everybody on, and then at the end of the week they have one-to-one -one coaching as well with with a with one of our coaches to see mm -hmm. if they have any blockages or if just to make sure they're on the right track. No, it's good. I mean, again, that's another a very valuable bit of information that I think most people watching is to, is to develop your, your digital assets. You know, try and find a way to, in this time, if you feel you can't pivot online, find ways you can at least streamline what you're doing. Um, I mean, how, how much more efficient would you say you guys actively are now that you're one month in or two months into this, uh, this pandemic? It, it means that we can scale. It means that rather than it, you know, it, you know, it, it, the, all the cost is in is in the coaches. If if we can 
put most of it online, we can scale a, a, a lot more. Um, and so in terms of efficiency, it's a massive increase four or five times because all of all of the briefings and so on are, ju are just online. But having said that, we, we did the, 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 the work beforehand to make sure that when I do spend 10 or 20 hours creating the online content, it's the right stuff. No, absolutely. I, th I mean, it does, certainly does need to apply to a current process, you know, well, obviously, yeah. Of course. Um, now, um, we've got another comment here uh, from Sabrina Takely. Uh, she talks about, well, we mentioned oversubscribing earlier on in the conversation. So uh, what is oversubscribing, just for the audience, and why is that so important? I think that obviously ties into the fact that when you sold out um, your first, was that, you sold out the four-hour workshop, didn't you? Was that the one that you sold we, out? Well, we've sold out all of them, yeah. <laughs> oh, great. So, yeah. Well, there we go. So tell us a bit about that. You're obviously doing something right. So that first one was we, we set a target of 50 people that we wanted to get um, to purchase. We, I think it was three, 300 or 350. It was over, it was over 300 people um, registered and wanted to sign up. So that's what being oversubscribed is. And it's one of Dan Priestley's um, concepts that I, that I learned from, from him. Uh, and basically he says that if you can increase the demand, then it sets the price. You know, you can set the price higher because you've got people waiting and queued up. So we run them through. Um, we 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 set up a landing page for for the course or the program, and we set a limit to the capacity, which is important. Uh, we set a time limit for registration, but we don't sell it straight away. We put people onto a waiting list. This is something that. Um, Dan explained and companies like um, Monzo do it. You know, they set up a waiting list, get a bit of buzz behind everything, get people interested and exciting. And then once they're on a, um, a registers list, we go back to them and say, look, we've had 330 people interested in this course. As you know, we've only got 50 spaces. Here's the link to purchase the course if you want to join us. And then yeah. that's, why, that's why we can sell out in a day. And obviously, again, it helps with the the fact that the guys already know, like, and trust you. The audience is there; they're qualified. They've been watching your content for years. I mean, yeah, it's all, it all plays plays a huge part to it. I'm sure. Exactly. Um, yeah. We've got another comment here from uh, Sebastian. Um, glad you're watching, Seb. So, uh, Seb says, "When the lockdown restrictions loosen up and you are able to coach on the track again, how much or of your time will you allocate to the track or will you remain online well remain online as your focus what's what would you do there how, how are you imagining let's just fast forward the six months from now what what's the plan how does the model work so actually i'd set all of 2019 i did the on-track coaching uh, myself i worked with 120 different drivers we did 120 days on the track and it was it was pretty intense um wow. i i we were we were again oversubscribed we would release dates every month, uh, 10 dates every month. And again, within a day or two, we would sold them all. So that was great because that's a big, that's a big 2000 pound product. Um, so then I wanted to increase our capacity. So at the end of last year, I trained, uh, some other coaches, some, some coaches that I've been working with for over a decade now in my methodology and, and everything. And we've transitioned to, um, using those guys. So we've just had a baby a week ago. Um, oh, congratulations. And so I thank you. And so I'd already set things up so that I was going to have this period 
um, right. more okay. open and free for me. So I didn't have yeah. to be outside the house too much anyway. So it just happens that, you know, what's what's happened here with coronavirus has happened. But I'd, I'd set things up so the middle part of this year, um, I didn't need to, to be moving around too much. I'd also... Um, I'd also changed how we, how I sold my coaching last year, um, because I only wanted to do last year that the coaching at one track in 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 the same car and just have the only other variable being the driver. It meant that I learned so much because I wasn't changing car, I wasn't changing track, I wasn't changing. Uh, I was only changing the driver. And so the, the patterns that you see across all these drivers was, was much clearer because I could, you know, the, the circuit and the car wasn't changing. But I had drivers asking me to mentor them on, on the weekends, at the race weekends. And I said no, no, for, for six months or so. And then I spoke with with Dan, actually. I did one of their, one of their blockbusters. And they say if you can give the bread and butter stuff to another coach or another couple of coaches then and you have customers who want to spend a bit more money with you with more kind of bespoke coaching um, or mentoring then do that so i put together a couple of packages where i limited the number of drivers that i would work with in massive detail all year this is like 30 30 days per driver limited it to a capacity of two and then I sold those at an exclusive premium rate. And so wow. that meant that that means going back to Seb's question was that I just then went from working 120 days at the track down to 60 days. That's crazy. Year. And so, so I'd freed things up anyway. And so it just so happened wow. that because we've been stuck at home more, the, the sim stuff got accelerated. What, what other aspects do you think are here to stay? Not even linked to your industry. What what do you think we're going to start noticing just with businesses generally and how we work, operate over the next, let's say, two years, three years, four years, and, and above? Well, that's that's a big question. I've had my blinkers on, to be honest with you, with my head down working on on my own business. I haven't had time to come up and breathe. Um, I mean, from from our side, uh, with this with the high end simulators, like we've got racing drivers that will spend ten thousand pounds on on one of these sims they've they've bought them um where they may not have had them before that they've bought them so i work i partner with a, a company who who supply these simulators these high-end simulators and i spoke to them at the end of march and in that in the, the last week of march they turned over more money than they did in the previous quarter of 2019. Wow. so from from my side in terms of the the kind of racing drivers they've bought the equipment right so they're going to want to use them they're going to be using them a lot more so this has happened all over the world um it's very difficult at the moment to get any sim hardware because they're all sold out they can't supply it quickly enough so i think the sim training and supplementing real world racing has taken a a big step forward um mm. also the real world championships formula one indycar loads of them have put together online series so it could be something that we see during the off season where they have these races going on because the viewing figures are actually very good 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's like the, the in the last five years. I swear it's been. It's probably been a bit longer, but I mean, I've really just caught onto it. But I mean, people like professional gamers are now coming up. You know, there's there's so much online sim related, you know, kind of you know games that are now well not even games like sports. I guess there's no correct the correct word for it. That's just popped up, and and the viewing figures are insane. Absolutely insane. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Wow. I mean. I think it's been a it's been a really insightful conversation with you, Scott. Thank you so much for sharing all that knowledge. Um, hopefully, we get to uh, finally meet face to face one day soon. But I mean, uh, best of luck otherwise. Have you ever been? You've been out to Dubai before, haven't you? Yeah, I've been to the Autodrome five or six times and to Abu Dhabi about the same as well. Nice, nice. What's your favorite track out here? Uh, Dubai Autodrome is the best. It's a nice flowing circuit. Uh, good fun. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, mate. How can people get in contact with you with you? Just should, should they have any other further questions or how do they keep in, keep active and follow what you're doing? What's the best uh, way? We've got a Facebook page, uh, official driver 61, and we've got the YouTube channel at driver 61. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, mate. Cheers. No pleasure to speak with you. Have a good day. Take care, everyone. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to be the first to get access to our live interviews, then head over to f10x.com to apply to be a part of our online community.